we are in John today, chapter uh, 4. We're going to be starting at verse 13. That's John chapter 4, verse 13. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and get there. Um, if you got it on the phone, go ahead and light your Bible up. That'll be good. All right, verse 13. Yeah, you go first. Okay. Leemos en el nombre del Padre, y el Hijo, y el Espíritu Santo. 4.13 dice, Respondió Jesús y le dijo, Cualquiera que bebiere de esta agua volverá a tener sed, mas el que bebiere del agua que yo le daré no tendrá sed jamás, sino que el agua que yo le daré será en él una fuente de agua que salte para vida eterna. La mujer le dijo, Señor, dame esa agua para que no tenga yo sed ni venga aquí a sacarla. Jesús le dijo, ve, llama a tu marido y ven acá. Respondió la mujer y dijo, no tengo marido. Jesús le dijo, bien has dicho, no tengo marido. Porque cinco maridos has tenido y el que ahora tiene no es tu marido. Esto has dicho con verdad. Le dijo la mujer, Señor, me parece que tú eres profeta. Come on, yeah, Victor. Give it up for him. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, <clears throat> sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty I have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, what you have said is true. I love the next line. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I mean, where else you go after that, you know? Our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. May God bless his word. And may he bless you as you hear his word. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would richly bless your people by the preaching and teaching and proclamation of your word that are once again proved to be that double-edged sword that cuts very deeply in a way, God, that we cannot not ignore nor can we hide. But, Lord, would you bring us out of our darkness into your light that we may reflect the beauty and truth of the only God that saves. What a beauty it is to know Jesus, and we want to know him more fully. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all everybody that loved God in here said, I was recently reading the Willie Lynch letter. For those of you who do not know what that is, it is basically a book explaining how to make and break slaves. Willie suggested methods drenched in shame and fear as key components to accomplishing his goal. 
One of his key ingredients was colorism. What is that? It is discrimination based on skin color, also known as colorism or shadism, is a form of prejudice or discrimination, usually from the members of the same race in which people are treated differently based on the social implications from cultural meanings attached to skin color. In other words, it, it created classes in the black race according to skin shade. The lighter you were, the better you were. This, my friends, over time, bred among darker complexion people division, low self-esteem, lonely, loneliness, and awkwardness. Colorism is still alive and well today. So alive, there is a book recently written called, and I'm going to get this wrong, so way, it is a book about a young girl on a journey to be comfortable in her own dark skin. The author writes uh, this book because she wasn't always okay with being darker because the world made darker synonymous to ugly. On the other hand, colorism made lighter complexion people feel superior or better. As if, as if the lighter you are, the more blessed and beautiful you were. We see joking like this in the movie called Life. Oh, yard boy. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about, okay. Bring those flowers back to their natural exuberance. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Colorism ultimately made lighter skin ultimate. In other words, the lighter you are, the closer you are to arriving. But I'm afraid, church, we have our own Willie Lynch letter in the church today. We have our own way of making people feel less than. Our own way of dividing up the body of Christ into preferential categories. There are many ways we as the church have done this, but I want to focus on one today, relationshipism. I made it up. What is that? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to make this thing work. I didn't have a word, so I made up a word. What is that? Relationshipism is discrimination based on one's relationship status. Or it is us ascribing worth and value to an individual on the basis of their relationship status. We have both favored and created all kinds of relationship classes. Married, single, friends with benefits. Player before anything. Thought mutual. We both know what we own and we cool with that. You do your thing, I do my thing, and we all good. And some of y'all like that today, y'all don't care. It is what it is. And I don't care about you talking about it neither, preacher. Because when I leave here, I'm still going to be thought mutual. <laughs> some of y'all on y'all Mike Laurie. Mike Laurie, and some of y'all on y'all Marcus, but it doesn't matter because we like to cause a divide between the single and the married. Unfortunately, we have made a mess, especially between 
married folks and unmarried folks. We have made people feel less than if their relationship status is single. We have made marriage, as you heard in the testimony this morning, we have made marriage the ultimate point of arrival. We have made singles feel lonely, awkward, and unloved. We have made a gospel of marriage instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Marriage points us to the God, marriage does point us to the gospel, but marriage is not the only thing that points us to the gospel. Singleness can do the same as well. Let me ask you this. Which bad boy is more important? Single Mike Laurie or married Marcus? Single Mike Laurie. Laurie. Or married Marcus? Both are equally important. And here's a picture of what we have done. We have said that marriage is greater than singleness. Or I can say Mike Larry, Laurie, is lesser than Marcus. But what I would like to fight for in our church is this. No matter if you're single or married, in God's eyes, it looks like this. Married or single, you are all equal. Notice I made them equal. My goal is not to trample on marriage this morning. I believe marriage is important. I stand here as a married man of almost 13 years myself, and I love my chocolate drop. I just want y'all to. Yes, I do. In fact, I may have to get out of here early, Chris. That just sent my mind running. Y'all, just give me a second. Give me a second. I'll be back in a moment. I'll be back in a moment. Y'all don't mind, do y'all? We all grown up in here, ain't we? We make singles feel lesser than what God intends them to be. I want us to see that we all matter, no matter the stage of life we are in. God did not create a married people church and a single people church. Instead, he created the church. And we should strive to be a Christian gospel community. We should strive for common life, meaning everyone in the church community does life together. We ride together. We Die together. Oh, we fly. No, I don't want to get a movie too far away. <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't. I've been very careful how I've been weaving this. This means our experiences and events, good or bad, are shared among the people in whom we do life with. This means married or single, we are not left to suffer, deal, or struggle alone. This sounds great, but it is easier said than done. The question is, how do we get there to this commonality, to this gospel community? How do we get there? Well, first we must see that God is ultimate, which means relationshipism must be removed from the center focus and replaced with God. Secondly, relationship status must not be the primary means by which we relate to each other, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. I chose 
the woman at the well story this morning to help us get there. Quick summary. Jesus is walking and is supposed to be headed to Chick-fil-A. I just threw that in there, y'all. He's supposed to be headed to Chick-fil-A because it will be closed the next day because it's Sunday. But because they don't have Uber or they do not have Lyft, Jesus is walking and Jesus becomes tired and Jesus becomes thirsty. And, 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 and I really love that because, because when we see that, we see the humanity of Jesus. We see that Jesus can relate to us. Although he was the God man, he was a man. He's thirsty. And, and, and since he's thirsty, he makes a pit stop at the, at the first oasis that he sees. And while he makes a stop at the oasis, he runs into a stranger that is in desperate need. I'm so thankful that God communes with those who are in desperate need. I wish I, I thought you would have said amen there because God, when he found you, when he pulled up to your oasis, he found you in desperate need. Uh, can we relate to this woman this morning? I feel like preaching this morning. She is known as the woman at the well. This lady is single, but shacking and sleeping with some dude who we don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell you. Uh, she got some homeboy at, at the crib. He probably at the recliner, on the recliner. He probably watching football or something, waiting for her to come back with that bucket of water. Probably hoping she got a bucket of something else as well. Friends, she's also lonely with no friends. This was not typical for a woman to go to the well by herself. She, 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 she must have been marginalized. She, she, she must have didn't have close relationships. She goes all alone, and she hates being single. We get the sense she's likely depressed and sick and tired of disappointed relationships. She finds herself alienated like most of our Latino brothers and sisters. She now finds herself face-to-face -face with God, but what would this mean for her life? She finally finds herself face-to-face -face with God, but what would this mean for her life? Let's find out. Step one to relationship equality is breaking down the social construct divide. Family and friends, our story today starts out sort of awkward, if you will. Our story starts off not right, if you will. It has that, bro, what's going on kind of feeling here. And, and as you, and, and, and you the reader, you, you, you don't see it at first glance. Listen to it. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus' friends has crossed over into enemy territory. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They were like GDs and BDs. Are you with me yet? They were like Crips and Bloods. They were like the bad boys against the bad guys. Most Jews went dozens of miles out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. They walking, y'all, and they going dozens of miles around 
Okay, y'all ain't feeling me. Okay, okay, okay. Y'all circle the parking lot a hundred times just to get the closest parking spot because y'all don't want to walk five extra parking spaces. And some of y'all done lost y'all religion because somebody cut in front of you and took your parking spot. Jesus goes 12, I mean, the Jews go 12 miles around Samaria in order not to go through Samaria because they don't fool with them like that. <laughs> so great was their prejudice and their hatred of the people who were the mixed race of Jew and Gentile. You can feel the setup by John. John is doing this on purpose. He's not doing this on accident. He wants you to feel the intensity. He wants you to feel the social uh, emotion in the air. He wants us to see just how far Jesus is willing to go to build a relationship with one person. He refuses, come on my Savior, he refuses to be confined and defined by society. He crosses over into enemy's territory. This is not new because he did the same when he stepped into your life. Because you were enemy too. And so when God crossed over into your life, he crossed over into enemy territory. You and God were enemies, but, but he crossed over anyways, and this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus breaks through colorism, racism, gender bias, and soon we will see relationshipism. He genuinely cared for people and was willing to risk not being like to save one's soul. Oh, y'all didn't catch that one. Let me run it back to you one more time. Jesus... Risk not being like to save people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope you heard it real good. Uh, Christianity ain't no joy ride. And, and, and we say we want to save folks, but in order to save people, some folks may not like you. Jesus is setting himself up not to be liked. If Jesus was going to reach this woman... He had to get past the labels and what people would think of him. We have to get past societal labels if common life will be a reality for us in this church. We have to get past it. And if we will ride together and die together like Marcus and Mike Laurie, our love for each other cannot be contingent on us being single or married. I believe that Jesus not only wanted to save this woman, but he also wanted to break the divide between Jews and Samaritans. Can it be possible that Jesus had a dream that one day Jews and Samaritans would hold hands together? That Jews and Samaritans would eat at the same table together? You better believe he did, but I'm glad Jesus wasn't just into dreaming, but Jesus was into making godliness a reality. It was MLK that had a dream that all God's children, black man and white man, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics would be able to join hands and sing in the words of that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we are free at last. 
this sounds good, but for this dream to become a reality, there are some societal divides and hurdles that must be overcome. There's some discomfort that needs to happen between Jews and Gentiles for them to hold hands. People often read the end of Dr. King's speech and ignore the beginning and the middle of his speech. Before, because for this to be a reality in America, America had to change some societal things, mainly break down and destroy the system of inequality. Martin was mad that people of color was given a freedom check they couldn't cash. Well, if you indulge me for a minute, I too have a dream. That single people and married people would be valued equally in the same church. I have a dream that single people will not be judged by their Facebook relationship status, but by the content of their character. Uh, what, do, what, what do I mean? That just because they're single, they would not be looked at as a threat to our marriages and only good for our nanny services. Y'all not going to talk to me this morning. This is what Mitchell Johnson says. We lived in a world where singleness was, what if we lived in a world where singleness was cherished and viewed as more than an unlucky alternative? What if we truly believe singleness is what is supposed to be a gift and yet another avenue to glorify the Lord? What impact would that make? I have a dream that singles in our church can say, I'm single and I'm loving it. I have a dream that singles would have to be looked at, that singles would not have to be looked at as incomplete humans. If Jesus didn't let the box we check on our ethnicity on the application stop him from getting to us, neither should we allow the relationship status that our neighbor clicks on IG and Facebook stop us from treating them like normal human beings. Jesus crosses over the societal barrier. But the question is, now what? You stepped over into enemy territory, Jesus. Right? You, you, you finally make the move to do something so crazy, so radical to me in broken relationships, to me in a broken society. You create a new space, Jesus, that no one else has done. You create a space where a Jew and a Samaritan are in the same place. Rabbi, what you going to do? You create a space. For single people to hang with married couples, now what you going to do? We're glad that you crossed over, but now that you crossed over, shoot, do something about it. Well, you ain't said nothing because Jesus don't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. I might as well just park here because I know that he doesn't talk the talk, and I know that he walked the walk because 2,000 years ago, he walked up a hill called Calvary. And he didn't just say that he loved us, but that he took on that rugged cross, and he walked up that hill, and he died, and to death died. I'm getting ahead of myself. Step two to relationship equality is simply creating space to get to know people. Watch this. 
A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. You can kind of sense her attitude, sir. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Look at her attitude. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons in his livestock. That's a little history for you, Messiah. And what does Jesus do? What does he do? He actually talks to her. I know that's profound, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, Jesus talked to her. Yeah, he did. And this is profound because rabbis didn't talk to women, but Jesus is talking to her. And these days we can't even talk to each other. We just text everything. Yeah. We in the same room. What's up? You get a gif now. But Jesus creates space for this woman to get to know him. This sounds so simple, but, but it is the greatest way to create common life. Can we create space to get to know each other? These days, we read your profile. We search your timeline for at least a year. We look at your Twitter. We find out who you voted for, and we pretty much know you. All of us are prejudiced in the sense of the meaning of the word. We prejudge people before we get to know people. We assume that a person is a threat to our marriage on the basis of them being single. That is silly. It is silly, 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 silly. Because another married person could be a threat too. Hello? You don't stop being sinners when you get married. You actually figure out how much of a sinner you are. Married people in the room, I want to challenge you to create space to get to know your single brother and sister. And I intentionally said brother and sister because that's what they are. I'm not calling for anybody to be unwise in the room. I think that we got to exercise wisdom in this. Right? But we need to be consistent. Our wisdom doesn't just need to go towards singles. It needs to go towards married people as well, or whoever it is, we need to be wise. So I'm not asking for foolishness that you should just males hanging out with your single girl all by yourself at your house. That's what I'm asking for, okay? Because you know, you heard, you heard the pastor. You heard her. I'm stepping into the well, okay? You didn't hear what I heard? Y'all know y'all like to take stuff and use it the way you want to use it. And then end up in my office. Pastor, interpret your sermon here. Listen to the woman. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She is shocked 
that Jesus is asking her for a drink. Why? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Man, I want to do that right there. I want to shock people with the love of Christ. Listen, she's like, I'm, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. I'm a female. You're a male. There's a certain way you're supposed to relate to me. Christians, society is expecting a certain level of love from you based on their societal definition. I wonder what would happen if we become like Jesus and we show them a love they ain't never seen before, a love that goes past your status, a love that goes past your gender, that I don't just see your status, I see your heart, I see your soul, you are a person, and I'm going to love you as so. What would happen? She's shocked. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. But Jesus doesn't see the label. He sees the thirst. He doesn't see the label. He sees the thirst. And Jesus is about to rock our world with the love of God. You ever had your world rock with the love of God? When you encounter the love of God, you're never the same again. It's getting ready to happen right here in this passage. He's about to embrace her soul. And to get someone to get to someone's soul, you got to get past, not ignore the skin, the ethnicity, the economic status, the singleness. He wants her to know, I see you. No, not your relationship status, but you. Now let's flip the lens and talk to the struggle of singles. We are all restless until we find God. It is interesting to me that my generation of pastors are becoming heralds of good relationship advice. And we have become more concerned with giving people good relationship advice than giving them the good news of Jesus Christ. We wonder why people are still thirsty. We give them 10 steps on how not to be single as a Pringle, six steps on how to keep good vibes in dating. How about step one, how to get your soul right with God? How about justification by faith alone? How about there is a God who loves you so much that he hung, bled, and died on your behalf? rose on the third day, and he promises eternal life to all those who believe in him. We make status, marriage, the savior, and we create categories of superiority, relationshipism. And what happens from that is married people feel like they have arrived, at least before they get married. I'm going to let that sit with y'all for a minute. Don't let it deal with you. Let it deal with you. It's okay to say ouch in church. You ain't got to say amen about anything. They hurt, it hurt. <laughs> True should it hurt. We make married people feel like they have arrived, which is a lie. And we make singles feel like they're left behind. 
But none of us have arrived until we've arrived at Jesus. None of us have arrived until we have arrived at Jesus. This, this is, there is only one class of people, sinners in need of grace. There's only one class. We get that. We'll be all right. One class, sinners in need of grace. I'm going to say it one more time. I say it real slow. We all, see me, Chris, I'm doing it real slow. Our sinners, that's everybody, what we need, we, uh, uh, what, uh, we are all in need of what? Grace. Okay, grace. You all need grace. Doesn't matter if you're single. Doesn't matter if you're married. You need grace. Jesus doesn't start with her being single or married status or its complex status. He starts with her saved or unsaved status. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, that might be my phone if you turn it off. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring, a water welling up to eternal life. Now watch this. Notice that it is just Jesus and the woman at this point. All the distractions of her life have been removed. None of her five ex-husbands are present. Her current co-fornicator is nowhere around. None of the women who so intensely hated her and her lifestyle are to be found here. It is just her and Jesus. And like Martin on Bad Boys, he's getting ready to penetrate her soul. But how? He doesn't go after the status. He goes after the thirst. And this is what messes up a lot of our evangelism. We go after the fruit and not after the root. Why? Because Jesus knows single Mary thought the issue with all of us is, is, is a longing for God. Jesus has seen this woman's Facebook page. He has seen her IG pictures and the filters she has put on each of them to hide the real her. She is not comfortable with the woman she has become. He has seen her subliminal angry post to her boyfriend hinting to him to marry her. He knows she is tired of going to weddings only to be reminded that hers didn't work out. He has seen the post where she's not only lies to the world but to herself that she is single and loving it. He has seen the pain she felt after having sex and grappling with the imponderable thought that he wants. He doesn't want me, but he wants what's in between my legs. What if the co-fornicator was there? Because I want to talk to the fellas. What if he was there? Because women don't just struggle with singleness. Men do too, just in a different way. What, have, what would have Jesus seen in her co-fornicator. Maybe a guy that pretends to be okay with being single. Or a guy that doesn't even know that he's not okay with being single. 
The dude been hurt by some woman way back when, and so he's concluded that it's easier to be single because he's content with not being hurt, not content with not with being single. Maybe he's like that man that says marriage can't work. No, it can't work. Because I don't know how you stay faithful to just one person. Y'all not going to talk to me up in here. I want to get married. Y'all don't understand me, brothers. I want to be like y'all. I see y'all. Y'all strong, man. I love y'all, man. But as for me, I can't, I can't see how you can be faithful to one person. Because I like to go around and I like to get around. And he's like, the young single guy's like, maybe when you're 40, you can do that. Or maybe he's never had a father that taught him that being a dog is not a man. What would Jesus have seen in the single guy? But Jesus saw past all of that. He sees underneath all the posts, all the filters, in the broken relationship, and he sees that being single is not her issue. The woman is thirsty. It's a thirst that Sorokin Hennessy can't quench. It's a thirst so deep that no human being can reach it. Sex can't solve it. In other words, in the words of that African theologian Augustine, our souls are restless until we find God. We know this. We know this. It's all in the grammar here. We know this is true. Even in our story today, the grammar in the KJV gives it away. Remember, Jesus tells her that she can drink from Jacob's well every day. And she will still get thirsty and will have to come back and draw again. This is supported by the tense of the verb drinketh in the KJV. In verse 13, it is in the present tense. It implies ongoing continual action. The picture is, is this lady has to keep coming to the well to quench her thirst because it only lasts temporarily. And what we'll do for a temporary fix And Jesus says to her, I can offer you something better. Let's make a deal. I'll give you something better in exchange. This is what he says. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This is what Jesus is trying to tell her. And many of us can relate to this single or married. It's what Post Malone says in his song, Circles. We're running in circles. We've been in relationships where we thought it was special only to find out it was just a sex doll. Isn't it hard to get untangled? Isn't it hard to get away from the thing that you know will not satisfy you? I mean, I'm not talking about people who are under an an illusion that sex can't satisfy them. I'm talking about people who know, but they can't get free from it. And the question is, how in the world do you get free? You got to find something better than what you have. Can I suggest we keep running back because we don't know what to run to? We run back because we haven't found something better? 
I learned this, y'all. I learned this through my barbers. I used to drive year in and year out all the way to Illinois to get my hair cut. Judge me if you want to. You're not jacking my lining up. Not going to happen. We're not going down that route. The bros ain't about to get me. Okay, y'all don't want to talk to me, but I'm not. It's, come on. Some of y'all care about y'all hair up in here. And, and, and that's why we got, that's why we got barbershops on every corner. And so like, come on now. And I, I'm not just going to go to some anybody, but check it out, y'all. I finally found a barber in Indiana that can cut my hair the right way. And guess what? I ain't been back to Illinois because I found something better. I'm trying to preach this thing. When you find something better, something that actually itches your scratch, you find... Uh, I probably said that wrong. Uh, it scratches your itch. <laughs> Did I get it right, James? But check this out, though. It gets crazy, y'all, because here's Jesus trying to help the woman, and the woman is trying to play Jesus. You probably ain't see here it is. Because, because what I love about Jesus is that he's not frustrated with her or mad that she can't articulate her needs. In fact, she is still confusing the physical and the spiritual. She is still a little sarcastic when dealing with Jesus. Look at what she says. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. She like, man, please, you ain't got no water. That'll make me not thirst again. I heard this game before. I know how dudes play around. They got all these little lines they want to run on you. Girl, you got to be Google. You everything I'm searching for. I'm feeling Wi-Fi. You must be Wi-Fi. I'm feeling a connection. All these lines that, that guys want to run. And here's Jesus running water in bucket lines at her. And she's like, please, man. And I'm not mad at her. Because after being married several times and now single, I wouldn't trust no joker neither. Can we just be honest? I know y'all Christians say filled with the Holy Ghost, but I know we get hurt and I know, and I know we get cut. Amen. Just because you Christian doesn't mean that you don't get hurt. She was determined that no more man is going to come into her life and break her heart. What would the single guy would have, what, what would the single guy would have said? Man. One, monogamous marriage cannot satisfy me. Celibacy is whack and incomprehensible. I'm good with that. I'm tired of church and this Jesus stuff. And when we come there, it seems like nobody can relate to my pain and we can't be real. I'm done with that. Give me football, a bag of lays, and a beer, and I'm straight on that water you talking about, Jesus. But Jesus, it's like I know it seems... Like I'm too good to be true. But sweetheart, I'm the essence of good and truth. And like a child, she doesn't understand. But Jesus uses wells and buckets to get her to understand. Jesus deals with her like I do my three-year-old daughter who cries when she doesn't have the words to express her needs. Lila can't always articulate what she wants because she doesn't have the words to express her longing. So I walk my daughter to the kitchen. I pick her up to the fridge, and I say, point to what you want. Lila gets up there. She points to what she wants. I 
I say, Lila, that's juice. Daddy, juice. Yes, that's juice. I tell her what it is. So the next time she has a longing, she can articulate and understand what she wants. Jesus is solely teaching this woman what she needs. He's feeding her the word so that in the future, when these longings arise, she can use her words and tell her, so, so, we need God. We don't need a man. We don't need a spouse. We need God. I want to tell you that only God can satisfy you. Friends and family, the thirst is real. A woman's not faking. This lady is thirsty. Her singleness, symptoms are real, and they may include loneliness, low self-esteem, specifically a type of bitterness against Instagram around wedding season. And I do not want us to ignore or make single people feel, this is not a message, singles, to make you feel like you can't struggle. Because God walks with us in our struggles. How do we know? Listen to what he told her. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have what, what, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. In order for her to know what she needs, Jesus has to show her what she doesn't need. This woman knows the commands of God. She knows she is living wrong. She, and she's so afraid of being single and alone, she takes what doesn't belong to her. She hates being single so much that she will walk in willful disobedience. You ever been so frustrated with your life that you say, I tried to follow God. I'm so frustrated. I'm going to walk in disobedience because it looks more appealing than what God is telling me to do. I've been trying to do right and right ain't been producing nothing for me. So let me try wrong. Listen, loneliness is not synonymous with singleness, but it is synonymous with idolatry. Listen, single saints, don't let IG and FB make you believe that any human relationship would quench your lonely thirst. It is a lie. And all the married people said, yeah, y'all thought that he was going to be waking up every morning. Muscles glistening with Vaseline on him. Y'all not going to talk to him. Every time he walked past you, you thought your whole soul was going to leap. But you've been married. Yeah, yeah. You thought that uh, it was going to be sweet loving every night. Butter up. Ain't the case. Kids come. May be a good night. May not be a good night. Can I be honest, Tyler? Can I, can I be honest? And you find yourself running to the same God that you had to run to before marriage. Yeah. 
Because the reality is until you're satisfied in God, you will never be satisfied. If God cannot satisfy you, nobody can because ain't nobody better than him. I learned this from King Saul. If you don't know who King Saul is, he's the first king of Israel that Israel ever had. God took him out of the field, made him king. Saul became great by God's grace. Saul had fame, money, wives, and more. And God gives God give Saul an assignment to kill and destroy the Amalekite people. Who are the Amalekites? They are one of the surrounding nations with which Israel had continual conflict. Don't have time to get into that a lot. In fact, one of their first enemies when they left Egypt were the Amalekites. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what the Amalekites did to Israel in opposing them on their way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike the Amalekites, devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman and child and infant and ox and sheep and camel and donkey. And what does this joker do? Here it is. But Saul and the people spare Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calf and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. He did what he wanted to do. Here's the crazy part. He's the king. He has everything that he wants and anything that he wants at his disposal. So my argument is that if I can become a king, it'll be easier to obey God. Because if I reach the status that I want, then I can finally obey God. But, but the status is not the salvation. God is the salvation. And because Saul is not pleased with God, he'll never do what God asked him to do. Because until God is enough, nothing is ever enough. And what happens to Saul? Saul loses the kingdom. You better watch it because you can't keep a man, you can't keep a woman if you're not satisfied in God. As long as you keep pushing God to the side, you're going to keep losing everything that you got. We walk in our sin instead of God. Consequences are waiting for us. This is her. She has been so dehydrated from love that any love will do. Therefore, being single wasn't an option. It was impossible for her to be single and love it because she was thirsty for love and believed that being with somebody would fix that. And you will never love singleness until you taste the love that loves you, single or not. You'll get married and be like most married couples, still thirsty. And for the first time in this woman's life, the real love she's been searching for finally finds her. The thirst is real, but Jesus is a real satisfier. She says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. She sees Jesus for who he is. They talk a little bit more about worship, and then what? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Y'all missed it. The woman who came to the well thirsty with her bucket has now left the bucket. 
because the bucket was empty, but she wasn't empty no more. This is what Jesus does, doesn't he? He fills you up so much that the thing you thought you needed, you don't need anymore. I wish I had some witnesses in here that have left some empty buckets behind because you finally got the true water down in the inside. And when Jesus gets down on the inside, you can be broke and love it. When Jesus gets down on the inside, you can be sick and love it. When Jesus gets down on the inside, you can be married and love it. When Jesus gets down on the inside, you can be single and love it because it doesn't matter the position you're in. It doesn't matter the situation you're in. It matters the God who controls your situation, who controls your status. The woman is not thirsty anymore. Y'all not shouting in this place, but she's not thirsty. She ran into some water that truly satisfies, a water that doesn't disappoint, and everybody who runs into Jesus leaves their empty buckets behind. With Jesus, you leave drugs behind. With Jesus, you can leave pornography behind. Y'all don't know how great he is. By the time he get done with you, you'll say what drugs? By the time he gets done with you, you'll say what pornography? By the time he gets done with you, you'll say what lust? Because when he fills you up, he fills you up. Salvation is real. I'm a living testimony. I was the 19-year-old boy that couldn't imagine being married. By God's grace, I've been faithful, but it's only by his grace. But I found out that he's greater than sex, that he's greater than pornography, that he's greater than money, he's greater than my situation, and you don't know him until you start leaving your bucket behind. I wonder, using my exegetical imagination, that she went home and told that joker, y'all know when folks get saved, everything changes. Now, she probably didn't kick him out right away, okay? Let's be real. But she probably put KJV Bibles all across the house. Bibles in every room. She stopped throwing all everywhere. She started praying, because you know we just become religious the first time, because we don't know no better. And over time, she finds out that she's getting free. She doesn't need him to affirm her anymore. She doesn't need him to quench her anymore. He said, what's going on with you? Let me tell you what's going on with me. I found a savior that has loved me the way you have never loved me. And if you never love me ever again, I found a love that will never fail, that will never run dry. And he's sitting there confused, eating his legs and watching his football. He don't know what's going on because he's confused. How can you leave me for a God that you cannot see? How can you leave me? I got all these bows and biceps and triceps and abs, and you can't even see this God. But friends, I came to tell you that it's a love that we can't comprehend. All we can do is experience it. And when she got done, she ran back to her city, and some more women got free. And some more men got free. I wish y'all would leave y'all buckets behind and go to your job and proclaim that I found some water. Water that the world can't provide. I feel like preaching. I wish you'll proclaim it, that you'll walk in it like you believe it. This ain't religion. This ain't rules. We found life, and we've been changed. 
She left her bucket behind. Worship team is coming back. She found out, as the old song says, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't, oh Lord, a doctor and a good God, a friend when you're friendless. We got to work on this song. Oh, Lord, a mother when you're motherless. He'll be bread when you're, he'll be comfort when you're, long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. I know he's a burden. I know that he's a heavy load. Good God, a bridge over, a bridge over what? A bridge over what? A bridge over water. Y'all better praise him in this place. Long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. He's the lily of the valley. He's a praying morning star. He's a rose, I said. He's, a, he's the grave I am. He walks with me and talks with me. He's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jama. He's, uh, he's the Alpha in the Omega. He's the beginning in the last. He's the first in the last. And since the story's in my head, I'm going to go ahead and tell it. It was this little girl. It's in my head. I got to tell it. It's this little girl. Her and her family went to church the night before. I mean, the, the morning before. They get home from church, and the little girl begins to open up all the closets. She begins to open up all the doors. She finds her little brother. She say, little brother, have you seen Andy? He said, I ain't seen no, no Andy. And who's Andy anyway? She went to the kitchen. She found her mother. She said, mother, have you seen Andy? Her mother said, I ain't seen no Andy. And who's Andy anyways? After that, she ran up to the first floor in her house. And she found her daddy. And she said, daddy, have you seen Andy? Her daddy said, I ain't seen no Andy. It better not be no Andy in this house without me knowing about it. After that, she's running everywhere. They finally gather together on the stairs. They come the little girl down. They say, little girl, who's, who's Andy? She said, daddy, when we went to church, I heard the deacon say, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. Daddy said, that ain't no Andy. That's Jesus. Y'all ought to praise him in this place.